Hi, I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Today, I'm really excited to be starting a new series on spiritual lessons from Amy Carmichael. If you don't know who Amy Carmichael is, she's one of my missionary heroes, and I'm going to be walking through a series on several of the women who have most impacted my life and what we can glean from their lives and apply to the times in which we live. Before we dive in, I wanted to remind you that our print magazine is now releasing four times every year. So if you're not yet a subscriber, please go to setapartgirl.com and check out the options there. And also look at our online mentoring program, which has over 175 hours of video teaching for all the practical areas of set apart living. So no matter what your age or season of life, I believe you'll find something there that can speak to you where you're at. Let's dive into the first episode of Spiritual Lessons from Amy Carmichael, and this episode is called One of the Few. Now, I have done one other episode on Amy Carmichael's life, kind of going through three things that I most appreciated about her. And in this series, I'm going to get a little more granular and walk through her life story and just talk to you about all the specific ways that she's personally impacted me and the ministry of Set Apart and what we can learn, the principles that we can apply to our life today. First, I wanted to give you a really quick background on why I love Christian biographies so much, because we so often desire to have fathers and mothers of the faith, people who can speak into our life and offer us wisdom and counsel and spiritual perspective. And sometimes those people just are not very easy to find, at least not people that we can encounter on a daily basis and sit down across the table from and ask questions. But in Christian biographies, there is such a wealth of encouragement and mentoring and spiritual inspiration. We can actually have fathers and mothers of the faith disciple us through their stories. And so many times when I've needed that older perspective, that that perspective of someone who has walked the narrow way and walked through struggles that I'm facing currently and how they apply truth to their struggles, I will turn to Christian biographies and find them to be so encouraging, painting this visual picture of what the set-apart life really looks like. And of course, everyone's story is different, and none of these men and women are perfect, but just seeing it lived out in a person's life who really went the distance in their walk with God is incredibly inspiring to me. A little background on Amy Carmichael. She grew up near Belfast, Ireland in the late 1800s in an upper middle class home. And eventually she went on to spend over 50 years on the mission field in India. She rescued hundreds of children from slavery. And she also wrote some of the most powerful books on Christian living that I have ever read. And her whole story from even the time she was a teenager of giving her life radically to Jesus Christ has so shaped my own Christian walk. Elizabeth Elliot wrote one of Amy Carmichael's biographies, and it's called A Chance to Die. And I love the title itself, which I'll get into in just a moment. But Elizabeth Elliot wrote this about Amy Carmichael in the preface to the book. To Amy Carmichael, I owe what C.S. Lewis said he owed to George MacDonald, as great a debt as one can owe another. I cannot pay it. But it is my hope that this biography will introduce its subject to a generation which has not had the privilege that was mine. I quote-unquote met her when I was 14. The headmistress of my boarding school in Florida used to quote often from Carmichael books. I was captivated and told her so. She lent me the books. Donover, which was Amy Carmichael's ministry in India, became 
became a familiar place. I knew its bungalows, its paths, its people. I breathed its air. Amy Carmichael became for me what some now call a role model. She was far more than that. She was my first spiritual mother. She showed me the shape of godliness. For a time, I suppose, I thought she must have been perfect, and that was good enough for me. As I grew up, I realized she could not have been perfect, and that was better, for it meant that I might possibly walk in her footprints. I can really echo those words from Elizabeth Elliot. She was like a spiritual mother to me. And really in 11 years of doing the Set Apart Conference and all these years of of doing the Set Apart Magazine, I've quoted from Amy Carmichael books so many times, more times than I can even count, because she had such a passion for Jesus Christ and such a love for the Word of God. Now, as a caveat, just as Elizabeth Elliot said, I want to make it clear that even though Amy Carmichael is one of my spiritual heroes, I don't place her on a pedestal of perfection, and I don't seek to emulate every aspect of her life. She was human. She made mistakes just like all of us do, but she allowed God to shape her and refine her even through her failures and her struggles. It's not Amy herself who has shaped my life, but the love and triumph of Jesus Christ that shone through her life. And that's what really made the impact on me. Amy's life was such a great enunciation of the principle in Romans 12, 11, where Paul says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And from the time Amy was a teenager until her death at the age of 83, that is something you will see in her life is this incredible spiritual fervor, the spiritual passion that never died. Now, Elizabeth Elliot wrote the book, A Chance to Die, which is one of the many biographies written about Amy's life, one of the better biographies, I really think. And I first read the book when I was about 17 or 18 years old. I remember taking the book across the street to babysit. I was babysitting for these two young girls, and they saw the book. I brought it with me, and they saw the title, A Chance to Die, and Amy's picture on the front. And one of the little girls looked at me and said, what did she have? Kind of like, why is she dying? What is she dying from? But the title actually came from a very simple everyday moment from Amy's life in which she submitted to God's refining fire. She talks about a moment in one of her books where someone spoke rudely to her and she was tempted to respond with an angry flashing remark. Many of us can relate to those moments. Maybe even today we had moments like that. But before she responded in the flesh, God spoke to her heart and said, see in this a chance to die. And right then she knew in that moment she was being given an opportunity to die to self's desires and to take up her cross and follow Jesus Christ. I love how Amy describes it as a chance because every day we have that same chance. It's a chance to let go of our own personal rights, to respond with gentleness instead of anger, to reflect the love of Christ rather than our own sinful flesh. It's a chance to be refined in his fire. It's not a duty. It's a chance, a privilege and an opportunity. All those little everyday moments when we can choose to yield to our flesh or to his refining fire makes such a difference. When we yield to him, our impurities come to the surface and are removed and we become like gold refined in the fire. We become shaped more and more into his likeness. So it truly is a chance and an opportunity, although sometimes we don't look at moments like that as a privilege or an opportunity. There were a lot of early examples of this principle at work in Amy Carmichael's life, and one was when she was about 17 years old where she made a decision to become dead to the world and its applauds to all the customs and fashions and laws 
of those who hate the humbling cross. That was a little poem she wrote about it. While other 17-year-olds were pursuing their looks, their clothes, their social life, marriage prospects, Amy chose to live for something different. And Elizabeth Elliot made this observation when she was writing the biography. The preoccupation of 17-year-old girls, their looks, their clothes, their social life, don't seem to change much from generation to generation. But in every generation, there seem to be a few who make other choices. Amy was one of the few. Now, I have said in other podcasts that when we look at Christian heroes, we often think, is is that kind of radical living only for a special few in every generation? And it is true that we are all called to live a radical, abandoned life, fully consecrated and given to Jesus Christ. So it's not supposed to be a special call for only a few in every generation. But the reality is we have to make a choice to come away from what is normal and common and say, I will become one of the few in my generation. It's a calling that each of us as daughters of the king has been given, but not very many of us actually respond to that calling. Amy was one of the few who did. And when I first read that description, one of the few, when I was about 18, that concept completely fascinated me. I felt a longing to become one of the few in my own generation. Around that time, God had challenged me to embrace a life of surrender and consecration to him. He had asked me not to merely fit him in to my life, but to build my life around him. And by the grace of God, I began to walk away from the shallow pursuits and the pop culture pleasures and distractions that had been consuming my time and energy and really began to put Jesus Christ first in my life. And I found as a single young woman that it was often a very lonely path to decide to make different choices than those around me. A lot of people in my life didn't understand my commitments and people would ask me things like, why aren't you out there having fun and going to parties like all the other girls your age? Or how do you ever expect to get married if you aren't out there pursuing guys and dating around? I was seeking to live a set-apart life for Christ, but the road that I was walking was often very narrow and lonely and difficult. Even though my relationship with him was rich and fulfilling, there were also times when I was flooded with doubts and discouragement about the path I had chosen to walk. So when I read Amy's story about becoming one of the few in her generation who had chosen to live a set-apart life for Christ, I was encouraged, I was inspired, and I knew that those words were an enunciation of what God was calling me to, even if others didn't understand, even if I experienced hardship and loneliness that other people couldn't relate to, my greatest desire became living with an undivided heart towards Jesus Christ. But like I said, it was a huge comfort and encouragement to know that there were other women who had walked this path before me in previous generations, women like Amy Carmichael and Elizabeth Elliot and so many others. And really, when I think about it, that is where the Set Apart ministry came from originally, because as I was moved and inspired by these women's lives, a new desire began to awaken within my heart, which was the desire to inspire young women in my own generation toward a Christ-centered consecrated life just as these women had done for me. Any time since then when I have felt tempted to choose an easier path, a self-glorifying path rather than that narrow way of the cross, I often remember Amy Carmichael's example and her decision to become dead to the world and its applause to all the customs and fashions and laws of those who hate the humbling cross. And that reminder has helped keep me on the narrow way at times when I've been tempted to veer off.
Another really fascinating example from Amy's life when she was young, about 17 or 18 years old, happened when she was walking home from church one day with her family. And it was in a well-to-do Presbyterian neighborhood with all these nice homes and respectable people. And there was this tattered beggar woman who was hobbling along the well-groomed streets, which was a very unusual sight in that part of town. Impulsively, Amy and her brothers went to help the woman, but then no sooner did they start to help her that Amy began to feel extremely embarrassed because the respectable people who were on their way home from church were looking at her and her brothers with these shocked looks. There were these unspoken rules about how you were supposed to act in that time if you were an upper middle class churchgoer in Belfast and the type of people you were supposed to associate with. And Amy was breaking a lot of those rules and people were letting her know that. And so she was kind of reluctantly helping the woman. But then as they passed a fountain in the street, Amy clearly heard a voice speak, and it said, Now if anyone built on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Amy turned to see who was speaking to her, and nobody was there, and that's when she realized God was actually giving her a very clear message about the type of foundation she was laying and the type of decisions she was making with her life. When the end of the age would come, the things she was investing herself into would be proven whether they were genuine or not. So that afternoon, she shut herself in her bedroom to sort out life's priorities. And when she came out of her room several hours later, later, she had to come to a decision that nothing would matter to her again, except the things that were eternal. And those words also impacted me greatly, just as much as becoming one of the few in this generation, to make our focal point things that actually matter in light of eternity. If we live that way, with eternity's values in view, it completely changes our daily actions, our thoughts, our decisions, and the direction of our life. And like I said, God had spoken a similar message to me in this time when I was first reading Amy's story, and it was, don't just fit me into your life, but build your life around me. And I remember when I first heard those words spoken to my heart, I had taken an afternoon to be alone with God and sort out my life's priorities and come to a place of surrendering my life completely to him. And as I did that, I began to adopt that eternal perspective that the things I needed to be pursuing and building my life around were the things that would matter in light of eternity. So how can we apply these principles to our life today? There is so much depth in that concept of becoming one of the few who is choosing a different path and choosing to say, I'm going to be dead to the world and its applause and choosing to say, nothing is going to matter to me again, except the things that are eternal. First and foremost, it is not possible to live that type of Christianity unless we have the enabling grace of God. We are in Christ. He is in us. And it is his life that is working through us to do what we could never do in our own strength. So don't try to rise up to this in your own human willpower because that will certainly fall short. But if we want to make this practical at a very basic level, that concept of dying to self and choosing that narrow way of the cross, we can start with a very simple, practical, but often overlooked aspect of the gospel. And it's found in Matthew 16, 24, 
when Jesus talks about denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following him. And here's how Amy Carmichael expressed it in one of her books later in life. Are we going in the way Christ has gone or are we only talking and praying and singing about it? What about likes and dislikes? What about choices? What about self? Christ's way is the way that says no to the I that rises up so often in its many different disguises. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, which means say no to himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, there is not that much in the modern Christian world that encourages us to say no to self. In fact, it's become almost spiritual to focus on ourselves and pursue our own interests and become everything we want to be and pursue our dreams. That's often touted as the way that we bring glory to God. But Jesus says that if we seek to save our lives, we will lose them. And it's only when we lose our lives, which means to lay down our rights, to say no to self for his sake, that we will find true life. I want to encourage you to start with those little everyday moments where we have a chance to die, those opportunities to die to self, to say no to self, to let go of our own rights, and to choose a different way. By his grace, we can choose his way over our own way in our daily decisions, in our daily interactions with people. By his grace, we, we can become among the few in this generation who do not become preoccupied and distracted with temporal things. The few who are willing to declare with our lives that nothing matters to us except the things which are eternal. Again, this is not an obligation or a duty or a law. It's a privilege, a chance, and an opportunity. Let's say yes to that opportunity today. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. In future episodes, we'll be going even deeper into Amy Carmichael's life and example and truths that we can glean and apply to our lives today. If you would like to go deeper into what it means to live a set-apart life, I invite you to see the many resources that we have available for you at setapartgirl.com. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.